expectant, hopefully. As with all of us, um, do we have any teachers? I need someone with good handwriting to be Havana White for about five minutes. Any volunteers? Okay, Mindy, all right. Pick whatever color works. Um, <clears throat> so we are going to be looking at a huge central issue of all things Christianity. This huge word, faith. So we're in Hebrews 11. We're going through Hebrews 11, or the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews 11, and it opens up with the definition of faith. But before we even go there, when you think of the word faith, at least when I study words, I like to look at what it isn't before I look at what it is. So when you think of faith, what is it not? Just throw out some words and try to do it slowly so Mindy can write them down. We're just going to kind of fill in a couple different words. What is faith not? Okay, uncertainty, fear. They, they cannot coexist, right? Faith is not these things. Hey, that's okay. No, no worry about smelling. Um, what else? What else is faith not? I'll say one. Faith is not a guess. That's one of the ones I wrote down. It's not a guess. It's not passive. Okay, it's not passive. It's really good. We'll talk about the activity of faith later. That's an awesome word. What else is faith not? Think about maybe the way the world would define faith. What, what have y'all heard it as? Okay, so wishful thinking, kind of this pie in the sky. I love that, Kelly. Believing what you want to believe, but you can't prove it. This is not, you don't have to write all that, but wishful thinking is basically, basically the point. I love that. That's very, very true. Anything else? Okay, so it's non-emotional. It's perfect. I wrote down it's not a crutch. Faith is not a crutch. I've heard that used by people that wouldn't understand faith, that it's, it's for the weak, it's, it's, it's a crutch, it's, it's for the people that can't think for themselves. Anything else that faith is not? Yeah. 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 So write down happy thoughts and write down the word blind. That's huge. That word blind is very important to where we're going tonight. So that is right on. This blind leap, right? <clears throat> blind. Yeah. What'd you say? Short sighted. Short sighted. Awesome. Faith is not short sighted. That cannot be more true. Faith has vision attached to it. What else? I mean, my mom always says, like, my mom's not a believer, and she always says, like, it's irresponsible. Oh. Wow. So write that down. Irresponsible. Hmm. That's huge. Yeah. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> okay. If that's what faith isn't, try to come out of your biblical mind just for a second, sort of. 
What is faith then? Try to use words that we're not going to look at yet here. What is faith? Trusting. Okay, trusting. Write that down. If faith isn't this, faith is... Okay, it's certainty, exactly. It's the antithesis of this, right? It's active, it's fearless, it's these things. What else comes to your mind? Relevant, love that word. Faith is totally relevant. It's the, this is the crux of what, everything we attach to. <clears throat> Anything else? So it's firm, solid, right? When you think of the word faith, you think of solid. It's believing. Believing. Foundational. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. I put down necessary. Faith is necessary. It's vital. Kind of goes along with many of what you were saying. <clears throat> Anything else? Well, it could be active, but like alive. Yeah. Alive. Yeah. It's, it's breathing. It's living. It's, it's growing. It's moving. Anything else? Faith is... Like knowledge, maybe? Yeah. So based on knowing, okay? There's a knowledge <clears throat> to faith. Anything else come to your mind about faith? We're going to obviously dissect it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Assurance, <laughs> which is one of the words we're going to... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Faith is unwavering. It actually uses that word in Hebrews 11. It's awesome. Because it says short-sighted because then we think it's like a bigger picture. Mm-hmm, definitely. Bigger picture, vision, vision-centric. I just wrote down future. Not just the present and this active and this living kind of thing that Ashley's saying, but it's, it's more, it's greater, it's future, it's further, it's beyond us, right? <clears throat> That's a pretty good list. Thank you, Mindy. That's awesome. Can y'all see some of that? I want you to keep these words just in your mind and in your heart as we dissect what the scripture says, what God says faith is. Um, so I, I got this from an, an Alan Carr. He's a commentary, and basically he sums up what faith is not in kind of some of these words, but I just want to say his. Faith is not a blind leap, a blank check, or a bad choice. Faith is not a blind leap, a blank check, or a bad choice. When we think about this idea of blind, right, faith is always responsive to what God has already initiated. So a blind leap assumes there's not been any initiation. It assumes there's nothing to substantiate it. That's not what faith is. God says, I will lead you. Faith says, I will follow you because I know you'll lead me. God says, I will meet your needs. Faith says, it's done because God said he'll meet my needs, right? 
God says, I will clothe you, Matthew. I will feed you, faith says, then I will eat. I will be clothed. Faith is not a blind leap or this abstract jump towards something that isn't substantiated. Faith, actually, believing is seeing. Faith is responsive to what God has already said. So to have faith, it kind of goes hand in hand to know what God says then, right? Faith and God cannot be separated. They're connected. It's not just faith in the universe and faith in, you know, namaste and all this kind of stuff. It's faith in this God we're talking about. That's true faith. I actually did hot yoga this morning, and it was awesome. And I hadn't done it in a long time. (coughs) I've been getting over a cold, and, I mean, just it kicked my tail for sure. And it was this, it's called infinity flow, vinyasa flow, whatever. And so I'm, I'm in there, and I, I couldn't help to think about faith and about what we were going to be talking about tonight and looking at all these people. I didn't know, obviously, any of them, where they were with the Lord. But the teacher was guiding them into these abstract, out-beyond-themselves ideas. And she was using the word faith. And I know, and I'm like, wow, Lord, there is such a misconception of what faith is because faith and you go hand in hand. And so I kind of want us to think about faith as a response to what God has said. Faith is a response to what God has done. It's, it's a, a, a byproduct of God, of who he is. It doesn't exist without him. Um, Faith is informed. A blind leap is not informed. It's blind. Um, Turn with me real quick to Habakkuk 2, 4. In Establisher, we like to go all over the scripture, even in books that you don't normally flip to or know how to spell. Habakkuk. 2, 4. Hebrews 10.38 quotes this verse. So I wanted to go to the original Old Testament of what, what it was saying. Habakkuk 2, 4. Behold, as for, the, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith or by faithfulness. So the righteous, us, and we've learned that because of Christ we are righteous, we are being called to live by faith. So faith is a way of life. It's not just a bumper sticker and a belief statement. It's a way of life. It's this response. Y'all know 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that says we've been asked to walk by faith, not by sight. And yet, Believing is seeing. Faith actually has eyes to it. Faith actually lets you see. Seeing doesn't always let you believe. Y'all remember Thomas, right? In John chapter 20, when Thomas, who, who has been walking with Jesus all up until the time of his crucifixion, he freaks out. Jesus now is raised from the dead. He comes in and he doesn't even believe him. Jesus is standing right in front of him. And he basically says, you've got to prove it to me. 
And that's when Jesus opens his hands and lets Thomas put his hand through the hole. And then in a very loving way, Jesus rebukes him and says, Blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. You have believed because you've seen. So there is this idea that no, we don't live by sight, we live by faith, but faith, faith does let you see. Second, second one that Alan Carr said, it's not a blank check. This is big. Faith is not a name it to claim it, kind of what Kelly was saying. Basically, I can stamp God, stamp God on what I want and call it faith. Y'all, this is a huge one that a lot of, unfortunately, I think women get wrong. It goes a little bit in what Joy was saying about emotionalism. If we are unclear about what faith is kind of rooted in, grounded in, that being the word of God, then we can attach our hope and our desire to something being fulfilled and call it faith. And when we not get our way and call it God didn't move, God didn't answer, God didn't show up on my faith, and now you have disillusionment disappointment, confusion, just chaos in your thinking. There's, there's some camps of thought that say a lot about, man, you can name it and you can claim it. The scripture does not teach that. And yet, in John 15, verse 5, y'all turn, no, turn there real quick. John 15, verse 7, it does say this. This is huge. And the scripture does not contradict itself, so both are true. Faith is not naming it and claiming it and pulling something out of the sky and believing that God can do that just because you pulled it out of the sky. But then again, faith is this. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, guess what? Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. But what's the contingency to asking whatever you wish? Abiding, it's actually three things, right? Abiding in him, his words abiding in you, and then asking, not demanding. Ask whatever you wish, not demand whatever you want. That's different. Abide in me, Sarah, and let my words abide in you. Because we know that Romans says faith comes by the hearing of the word. So as the words of God are flooding my life, because they go together, right? God and faith go together. As the words of God are flooding me, you know what he does? He puts in me what to ask. And whatever I ask, it's going to happen. Not necessarily because I have this name it and claim it, I have this massive amount of faith, it's because God put it in me to ask it of himself. And then he comes three, right? So as we think about faith, I don't want us to think about it as a blank check, but I also don't want you to be scared to ask what it is that he wants you to ask. What is it that God is wanting you to ask of him? And then believe that you will have that very thing. That takes some maturity in walking with the Lord. Romans 10, 11 promises that if you keep on believing, you will never be disappointed. Name it and claim it type theology leads to disappointment and disillusionment. 
And yet the scripture says, if you keep on believing, if you keep on strengthening your faith, filling yourself with the word of God, attaching yourself to what God wants to do, you will never know disappointment. That is huge. Every single one of us in here can raise our hand to what we would say we have known as disappointment. And that can be a whole different topic for a whole different day, but if we went back and took apart that scenario that created disappointment, I would venture to say the majority, I won't say all of the time, but the majority of that, there could have been a confusion in what you heard the Lord asking you to believe him for, potentially. And maybe we heard one thing, and we wanted to stamp God on that and trust that this is what God is saying, and so this is what I'm going to hold on to, versus approaching him and saying, Lord, what is it that you're up to? Reveal to me yourself. Show me your word. Show me how to ask of you. Because I know that what I ask of you that's in line with your will, I already have. So the disappointments we've known are not necessarily a God issue, as much as they are where our faith was placed issue and maybe who or what our faith was placed in. Lastly, it's not a bad choice or a crutch. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, y'all know this one. It invites us to trust him with all of our heart, to lean on him, not with our understanding, but with everything, and in all of our ways, acknowledge him, and he will make the path straight. Faith is not this weakling attitude this little cane to kind of help yourself through life. Faith makes things straight. Faith makes things strong. Faith is actually like armor, not a crutch, when you really understand what faith is. Or shall I say who faith is? It's more of a person than it is a what. I'm going to read to you the message version (coughs) of Hebrews 11, verse 1, and we're going to dive into this. The fundamental fact is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under which everything makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see or understand. The fact of, the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and sets them above the crowd, and out of this world. That's so far from a crutch. That is so far from a bad choice or an irresponsibility or whatever these people think. But you see, they don't understand what the true essence of faith is. They hear it as superstition. They hear it as wishful thinking. They hear it as happy thoughts. And somewhere along the way, I think sometimes Christians can get confused too on what faith is, and we can present a very skewed message to the world that's dying to believe in something. They're dying to believe in the truth. Everything pales in comparison to that. And we have it. We have the truth. So let's dive in. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It's a powerful, it's one of my favorite chapters of scripture. It's a, a record And whenever I get discouraged or whenever my faith is tested or I feel like, God, is this really working? Is it worth it? And you ask yourself those questions, I read Hebrews 11. This is a great company of people that are in this book, in this chapter. 
And we do not have nearly enough time to dissect all of this, and so I'm, I'm going to read over a lot of the names. But if, if at all you're in a place of struggle or tension or temptation to doubt, go back and read the specific stories of these people. Read about Abraham and Sarah. Read about the, the humanity. They were human. They were not perfect. Go read their humanity and then read their faith. It's possible to be both. You can be faithful and you can be human. And they were human, but they were faithful, full of faith. So <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Is there any other translations out in the audience that y'all can read? <clears throat> Isn't that awesome? I love the amplified version. That is so good. That is so good. Anything else? NIV can't even compare to that, but go ahead. The reality. We didn't put that word down there, but faith is reality. Any other translations? The proof. Yes. Love that, love that word. All right, so little, little Greek here. Three words, assurance, hoped for, and conviction. Hupostasos is assurance. Okay, this is all from the Strong's Concordance. If you don't have a keyword study Bible, I highly recommend you getting one of these. They're amazing. It comes with the Strong's in the back. It's powerful. Listen to this quote, and then I'm going to read these definitions. Warren Wearsby is one of my favorite commentators. says, true faith is simply this. It's confident obedience to God's word, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstance, and no matter the consequence. True faith is confident, there's that word, obedience to God's word, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstance, no matter the consequence. So, faith is assurance. This word assurance literally means a support underneath that which stands as a foundation, so whoever said that word foundation, I think that was you, Meg, the ground of confidence. That's kind of cool. Hupostasos, assurance, literally translated the ground of confidence, like concrete. What really exists under appearance, certainty, proof, demonstration. And I really liked that word demonstration. Faith is the demonstration of things hoped for. Faith is the support. Faith is the, the very thing that stands underneath the foundation of what you're hoping for. Wow. So hoped for, el piezo. I'm saying this in English. I'm not going to spell it to you in Greek, but... E-L-P-I-Z-O is how you say it vernacularly. Expect fully with desire to trust in or confide, to abide, to wait for, anticipate. Do y'all hear any ounce of dread in that definition? 
that definition is full of optimism. It's full of hope. It's full of, man, I'm waiting for something that's my good. I'm waiting for something that's got my best in mind. Seasons in life where it's like your, your faith, at least maybe the definition you had of it, hopefully that will change tonight, but it's like your faith was trembling because you were scared at what may come, but you're believing that, okay, I'm believing that God is good and I'm believing that he's got good for me. That's not really faith. Because the definition of faith says, faith is the assurance, faith is the certainty, faith is the demonstration of things that are delightfully desired, things that are expectant, things that you're anticipating that are good. And it's the conviction of things not seen, of the invisible. It's that word conviction, elingos, evidence, like in the courtroom terminology, like, like the actual conviction, like the evidence, the proof, that same word again, the convincing. So if you take all that together, faith, this act of believing, this act of trusting, this active, fearless, necessary, vision-seeing, risky, future-believing is the assurance, is the support. It's the very foundation of everything we hope for, everything we're anticipating. And it's, it's proven true. What's unseen is real. And I would even say realer than what we can see. Y'all have heard that phrase, the mind plays tricks on you, right? Your eyes can play tricks on you. You know your senses can lead you astray. They're real. My nose, I haven't been able to smell in a week because of my cold. But your eyes, your, your nose, those senses, as real as they are, they are not trustworthy they can lead you astray. Your mind can make you think things. Your eyes can, I mean, what did my grandmother say? Right, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Your eyes can mislead you. Your nose can mislead you. Your mouth can mislead you. Your touch can mislead you. Things that may look hot could be actually cold. Faith is the only thing that's more trustworthy than even your senses. So as a believer, we have six senses. Faith is the sixth sense. It's really the one that should guide our life and promote our decisions and move us through not what we see, not even necessarily what we hear, definitely not what we feel, not what we think, but what we believe, what we know to be true. The other thing that I think I, I kind of had to stumble across in my study is that faith is not hope. Faith is not hope. Faith is the certainty, right? The assurance of things hoped for, but it isn't hope. Hope isn't certain, right? Hope is, I hope. What do you hear in the statement, I hope, for a Don't you hear weight and and solidness and immovable in that sense of I believe. 
versus I hope, you hear question. You hear, uh, I don't know. It could go either way. And sometimes I think we approach God in hope, not in faith. And he has asked us very clearly to the point where it's an obedience issue to approach him in faith. There isn't another option. That's it. You either approach him in faith or you approach him in every other thing. Fear, hope, and that's, that's kind of a mixed bag one because hope sounds good. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hope that God's going to come through and I'm going to hope that he's going to make good on his word and I'm going to hope that I can come through this. And, but the difference is he hasn't asked us to approach him with hope. He's asked us to approach him with faith. A certain trusting believing, immovable confidence that he is in control. There's no room for hoping in that. There's no room for, I hope God's in control. You either know he's in control or you don't, right? And faith is settled about that fact. Faith's not having a wrestling match to see if God's in control. Hope has a wrestling match to see if God's in control. It's unsure. Faith is not. This is, this is big. Listen to these quotes. Faith brings the future into the present and makes the invisible seeable. Faith states who God has been, steps out on what God can do, stands on who God is, and sees God's work in all things. Faith is the enabling power, H.A. Ironside, one of my favorite. He says this, faith is the enabling power that allows us to walk through the corrupting influences of culture unscathed. Faith provides a sense of detachment to the present materialistic approach and an attachment to the knowledge that greater things await. Alexander McLaren Charles Spurgeon says this, faith in what God has declared, not just pie in the sky, but faith in what God has declared gives the soul assurance, the eyes vision, and the heart peaceful conviction. Truth, not opinion. Faith is set by God, not us. He defines it. He's linked to it. He gives examples of it. And then in Hebrews 12, 2, it says he even authors it in us. Faith and God go together. And we simply respond in that place. Faith is in God's word, not man's word. It sounds so simple. It sounds so elementary. But y'all, our faith cannot be attached to what people think God is. Our faith cannot be attached to what you think God is or what you think he should do. Faith can't be attached to what, oh no, so-and-so doesn't believe God, and he, man, he's got a really good argument, and he's smarter than me, and he's got a higher IQ, and he's more learned, or man, she's really in front of the room, and she's got all these degrees behind her name, and they don't believe God. Faith is not attached to the world or to man's word. Faith is attached to God's word, to what he says. It believes that God is who he is and can do what he says he can do. That's faith. 
And I am so ready to see a generation of people, I mean, in particular women, girls, young and old, stand up in this sense of, man, I believe God. Like, I believe God. I believe him for everything he has said. Everything that he was to these people, 20-something of them, I believe he's still that for us. I believe that he can do everything he said he can do. There's not one question, one ounce of doubt in that. And sure, circumstances can test that, absolutely. I mean, again, every single one of these people came through a testing. But what is faith without testing, right? It doesn't grow. It doesn't even shine if it's not tested. But I want to see it prevail. And I think that's what Hebrews 11 teaches us, is that yes, it's worth it, and yes, it's working. Faith is worth it, and faith is working, and has been for 2,500 years. It is unrefutable. It is real. It is true. And as we go through this chapter, there are people that died in faith, and there are people that lived in faith. Faith is the essence of everything that we are as believers. It cannot be in question for you. And I'm not talking salvation faith, because that, for the most of us, if you know Christ and you've accepted him and he's in you and you're in him, you get that saving faith. It's the life of faith that we don't understand. It's the life of on and go, I can't just believe God. And yet, it's like, well, how did you come to God? You came to God by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that it is by faith, right? It's, it's by grace through faith. Not that it's of yourselves. It's not of a work, but it's a gift. So yeah, we don't, we don't argue that. Check. Salvation is by, by grace through faith. Duh. Like, totally. I, God saved me. He rescued me. And I believed in him. And that's done at 9 or 10 or 25 or however old you were. It's all the moments in the years after that that God is saying, I am asking you. I am proving to myself over and over again. I am your author and finisher of faith, Hebrews 12, 2. I am calling you to a life of faith, not just a salvation moment by faith, but a life of faith. And it is risky, and it is full of adventure, and your knees will shake and you'll tremble. But it's not because he isn't good and he isn't going to do what he said he's going to do. It's because your faith needs to put some muscles on, right? The more you work out, the less your muscles tremble at certain weight. Hello, CrossFit people, right? <laughs> so you, you develop, you gain in strength, and you, you make these markers. And it's like, man, 20 pounds, that was hard before. Okay, and now I'm doing 25. It's okay, I'm doing 35. Faith's the same thing. So as we journey with God, it's not that all of a sudden it's like it dawns on us, oh yeah, I just, I believe God. I believe God in everything he says and everything he says he can do. It takes testing. It takes muscles. It takes growth. It takes those moments to where you're like, Lord, this is it. This is the crux of do I believe you or don't I? And when you go, you know what? I do. It's like, boom. A little bit of muscle. A little bit of growth. A little bit of that, that kind of bowing up. Of, wow, I do believe him. I really do. 
Um, I wrote down, faith is the deep, settled assurance that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he has promised no matter what. When I expect God to do as he has promised, that's faith. When I expect him to do as I wish, that's presumption. When I expect God to do as he has promised, that's faith. Y'all realize tonight we have an invitation to expect of God. You can expect of God. Expect of me, but you can expect of God. And you know what you can expect him to do? Everything he said he would. Everything he said he would. So he says they're going to have tribulation. Then don't be, don't be surprised. He says you're going to have trial. Okay, don't be surprised. But he also says you're going to have the kingdom if you seek me first. He also says, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to put things over your head. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to do these things. Will you but believe me? So when I expect God to do as he's promised, that's faith. That's not arrogance. That's faith. It's when I expect him to do as I wish, that's presumption, and I've overstepped a boundary. Right? I've crossed over the place at which I want you to do this versus God. I want you to do what you want to do, whatever it is. I give you total permission to do and to be what and who you're going to be. And it's an amazing adventure of, of life, but that's where your knees will knock a little bit because it's beyond your comfort zone. It's beyond what you can label and box and wish and even think, right? Ephesians 3.20 says he can do even be more than you can think. Like you can't even fathom. I can't even fathom in my brain what God can do. That's crazy. That's risky. But I'm believing him to do it all, whatever the all is. So expect of God to do as he's promised, but do not expect him to do as you wish. Turn with me to Matthew 17 real quick. Faith is less about the size and more about the source. Matthew 17 is the, the quick little story of the mustard seed. <clears throat> it says in verse 19 that the disciples were really frustrated. They were sad. They were unable to cast out this demon. They were unable to do what they had already seen the Lord do so many times before. And they came to Jesus privately, and they said, why could we not cast it out? Verse 20, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Has anybody ever see, seen a mustard seed? They're tiny. So here's what's interesting about this. It sounds like in the very beginning he's coming down on them because their faith is little, right? Because of the littleness of your faith. Okay, well, that means I've got to trump it up more, man. I've got to believe more. It's all on me to believe more for, from God. No, because then he goes and actually gives a correlation and an example, and he uses a very tiny mustard seed. Faith is not about the size. 
It's about who you're attaching it to. You see, they can believe with a mustard seed that the God who made the mountains, if he wants the mountains to move and he's in them, they can tell that mountain to move and he can move it. Faith is always attached to Jesus. It's not attached to, to me and to how much I can trump up belief or how much I have ruined belief. Faith is attached to him. It's the source over the size. Does that make sense? The other big thing that we get into here a little bit about kind of the size of faith is, is suffering. In terms of if some people believe if I just believe enough, I, I won't suffer. Or man, if I, if I suffer, I must, I must have little faith or I must be um, you know, impleasing to the Lord or just I, I'm, I must be in doubt if I'm sick or whatever it is. And there are seasons in our life throughout the scripture, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, that basically says if you are in faith, you will suffer. And there are seasons where faith will protect you from suffering. There are seasons when faith will sustain you through suffering and seasons where faith will deliver you from it. But faith is never about this genie reaction to God. Faith is not a lasso that we can rope around God's neck and get him to do what we want him to do or to protect us from what we don't think we want. Faith is attached to him. It's a person more than a, a weird manipulation of God, frankly. Faith is not a manipulation of God. And a lot of people can get lost in that. And the more I believe, then the more God's going to move. Well, that's like 99% true and 1% false. And if it's 99% true and 1% false, what is it? It's 100% wrong. Because the truth is the truth, right? A white lie is a lie. Manipulating God... And if believing more and trumping up doesn't make God work or doesn't make God do, then how does all that fit together? Faith is less about size and more about the source that you're believing in. Are you believing more in the who or are you believing more in the what? Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> so go back to Hebrews 11. For by it, by faith, the men of old, which he's going to give a whole list of, gained approval. I love that. They didn't gain approval in anything else they did. They gained approval with God by their faith in God. Not their fasting, not their sacrificing, not how many times they walked around Jericho, not how many times they prayed for manna and saw it come down, not how many times they went to the temple and came back. None of those things gained them approval. The only thing that gained them approval, these men of old and women, was faith. This kind of faith. The, the faith that he, that he describes in verse 1. Not this kind of faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel 
offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony, circle that, obtained the testimony, that he was righteous. Throughout this chapter, these are stories of faith. And when I read, obtained the testimony, y'all, I just, it was like this elementary thought, but I, it like ding, ding, dinged in my head. Faith is what gives you a testimony. Faith is what gives you a God story. Faith is what gives you a God moment. Not an answer, not an easy life, not every question and you don't have any more questions. Faith is what gives you a testimony. And everybody wants a testimony and a God story and this, oh man, let's, let me tell you what God did. Nobody really wants to journey what Abel and Enoch and Sarah and Abraham and Noah and Isaac and Jacob did. They walked the life of faith and they had to leave things that were comfortable. They had to go to places that, that they didn't know. They had to go to countries, says Abraham, he went to a place he didn't even know he was going. They all obtained a testimony for themselves, but even so much more for us. So they were given a testimony, and then they became one. You realize your life, you can have a God story made out of your faith in life, and then someone else can look to your life the way we look to theirs. I have friends like that in my life, and I'm so blessed that I have them, that I can look at their life and go, man, they are living by faith, and I just want to get near her because she is so attached herself, her vision, her knowing, her security, her identity into the person of Jesus, that everywhere she goes, she has a God story. Is your life like that? It can be. It's not for the favorites. It's not for the select. It's for everybody. But it's the life of faith. And it can give you, you can be, have a testimony, and then you can become a testimony. It's huge. Um, so keep going. We're going to skip through some of the examples, but verse six, after it goes through Abel and after it goes through Enoch, it says, and it's kind of like this little side note here from the author and without faith. So he gives a kind of a controversy here without faith. It's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we have to digest this verse a little bit because I think we actually try to please God in everything but believing him. And I have come, I have fallen prey to this myself. And it's like if I were to split this in half and I could create this whole list of everything I have done innocently in my mind, thinking, surely, surely this would please the Lord. Or for that matter, things I haven't done, right? Things I haven't done. Surely, God, I didn't do that, so that, I'm sure that would please you. But it says here, without faith, it is impossible. Not difficult. It's not just hard. It's not difficult. It's impossible. It won't happen. You will not please God, Sarah, 
apart from faith. So you can do whatever you want to do in that list. And if it is not done in faith, it is not pleasing. huge that is huge because how how do we fellowship with him how do you fellowship with someone if you distrust them how could the two men on the road to Emmaus be walking with Jesus and hearing him expound the scriptures to them and distrust him at the same time it's impossible in that story in the book of Luke, after Jesus leaves them and disappears, it literally says their hearts were burning within them as he was expounding the scripture. They totally believed every word he was saying. The word himself was talking to them and spurring up within them faith. So if we're to walk with God, how could we walk with him intimately, like on a road from point A to point B, through trial one, through trial two, just journeying with God, if there is a constant common denominator of distrust. If we're constantly pulling back our hand a little bit, it's like, I'll give you my pinky. I'll, I'll journey with you this far, and then all of a sudden, I don't understand you, God, so I'm pulling back. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I, I can't believe you. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe God would let things suffer. I can't believe fill in the blank, right? And all of a sudden, that walk with God is severed. That fellowship, that intimacy, that relationship that he so wants, that's based in belief. Y'all, if there is one battle we got to fight, it's the fight to believe. I mean, everything you are, everything I am, we have to fight to believe God at everything he has said. That's so big. I love that, Joy. That's an amazing picture. Without faith, you can't even walk with him. So as we come to God then, we have to come to him with two things, it says in verse 6. What's the two things? He who comes to God must what? Read it again and see if y'all can figure it out. What, the, what are the two things are that you have to come to God with? Okay, belief in what? Belief that he is. Seems kind of basic. What's the second one? Right before that. Right. So a lot of people can believe that God exists. It's arbitrary. It's distant. But yeah, they believe God exists. Okay, that is faith. That's a part of faith. That is not what pleases God entirely. What pleases God is what verse 6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So now he's going to give a definition of the faith again that pleases God. So for he or she who comes to God then, in this faith, you must believe that he is. So it's not even just that he exists, right? It's not that, yeah, I just believe there's a God out there. It's you have to believe that he is who he is. That he is the I am. That you have this knowing in the that, oh yeah, I know who I'm talking to. He is the I am. I'm not just 
believing in a God and throwing up a prayer to the big man upstairs and all these different phrases. That's, that's existentialism. It's, it's existing. Yeah, I believe God exists. That's not what this is saying. It's, there's a reverence in that statement. There's a reverence in that faith. That, man, I come to you because I know who you are. That's why I'm coming to you. You're the only one that can do anything about what I'm talking about. I know who you are. And, as she said, we have to believe another part about his character. Notice that both of these things are rooted in his character. You've got to believe that he is, that he is, that he is. And you have to believe that he is, it adds a word, a rewarder. How often do you approach God that he rewards you? Or do you, you approach God that he judges you? that he measures you, that he disciplines you. He does those things. He does that discipline. A good father does. But you see, the kind of faith that pleases God is a faith that comes to him knowing with reverence who he is. And because you know who he is, you know what he can do. And what he does, he rewards. Not everybody. It gives a qualification to who he rewards. Who does he reward? Those who seek him. This is huge, Claudia. And I wrote down in my notes, y'all know there's a difference between searching and seeking. We talked about this a few years ago and established her because it was such a big topic for me. <clears throat> when y'all hear the word search, what comes to your mind? Google, okay. What else? Okay, to look for what else? Something that's lost. Okay. Think about the word search. Think about the word seek. What comes to your mind when you hear the word seek? Okay, hide and seek. You like know what you're going after. Okay. You know the end. Okay. There you go. Search is like a generic quest, right? Seeking is specific, and it's usually attached to a person. You seek and save that which is lost. It's those who aimlessly just search. You know, there's some people that don't really want to know the truth. If y'all ever met people that ask questions that they really don't know, want to know the answer to, they really do not want to know the truth. They're searching for the truth, but they're not really seeking it. Big difference. And God is saying, I will reward you. I will meet with you. I will honor you. I will bolster your faith. I will show up. I will be kind to those who seek me. Not search for answers necessarily, or search for explanations, or search for their way, or just Google God, right? That's not what we're talking about here. This is specific. He's saying, I want you to seek me. Think about Deuteronomy 4.29 that says, seek him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Synonymous with love there. Seek him with all that you are. That's the kind of seeking that faith does. This kind of faith. Faith is not aimlessly search. 
faith specifically seeks. Big difference. Um, Jeremiah 29, 13, about seeking, says this. You will call upon me. You will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek or search for me with all of your heart. Not aimlessly, not generically, but with all of your heart, with all of your fervency, with all of your direction. That's what faith does. And then he says, you're going to find me. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. And I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from the nations, from the places where I have driven you. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. What a promise that is, that God will be found by us. That's amazing. So we have to believe that he is and that he is the rewarder. Skip down, he gives some more examples, but I kind of want to just land a little bit on Sarah. Um, there's a couple other times where it talks about observing a testimony and obtaining a testimony. He talks about Abraham, but then verse 11, he introduces a new word in chapter 11 that's then repeated after Sarah's story. And it's the word considered of this. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. I would encourage y'all to go back this week, read Sarah's story. I'm named after her. I'm very familiar with her story. Genesis, really, 15 through 17. And if you read her story, you will see her humanity and you will get frustrated with her in the beginning. She is very faithless and almost has a sense of mockery at the promise of God in the very beginning. And as you follow her through her testing and her growth of faith, she ends up having this sense of almost giggle and laughter at the end and kind of saying, man... God did everything he said he would do. And here she has listed, even though her faith faltered in the beginning, she is listed here. And I love that it says, by faith she received ability to conceive. In her scenario, it was the ability to conceive. But faith does that. Faith in God gives us ability that we do not have. It gives us vision it gives life where there's death. Faith does things. It moves things. It changes things. And for her, it gave her the ability to conceive that which was impossible. And then it even goes on, even the verse after, Abraham too. He was as good as dead. And faith gave him the ability as well. But it says all of that, and it kind of gives a parenthesis, like her faith that enabled her to conceive was, was what, what she did. What did she do? She just considered him. You know what faith does? It considers God, not you. There are so many times, y'all, when we're looking in the face of a circumstance, and like Sarah, 
she's looked at the circumstance first. She looked at her womb. Not really hearing the promise of God by an angel of God that was standing in front of her husband on the other side of the tent that she was eavesdropping on. That totally went over her head that an angel of God was in her house, in her tent. She looked at her womb and said, no way. There's no way. Faith doesn't look at the circumstance. Faith doesn't look at the horizontal. Faith looks at God. It considers, it is a consider God, it considers him faithful. So how interesting is that? We are full of faith when we consider that God is faithful. We are full of faith when we consider, just consider that God really is faithful. He really is. Unto a thousand generations, as Deuteronomy 6 says, if we would just but consider him and not consider him last after we've looked at our womb, after we've looked at our bank account, after we've looked at our job or our boss or the circumstance, but consider him first. Look unto him, the one who is faithful, and you will be full of faith. It's a pretty powerful promise. So do you believe, have you considered that he is willing to reward you and he's able to reward you? He is willing and able. Faith considers God that he is willing and he is able. There's a story about a leper in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. And this man is approaching Jesus and he says, if you're willing, heal me. And Jesus repeats the question, if I'm willing, of course I'm willing. Not only am I willing, be healed. I will heal you. In our feeble mind, I think we approach God sometimes as if he isn't willing. We may know that he's able, but I don't know if he's willing for me. And maybe some of you are, yeah, God is willing. He could will it. I don't know if he's able. Faith sees both. Faith considers God as both. That he is willing and he is able. That he is full of faith. That he is a rewarder and that he will come through. That's what this kind of faith considers. That word consider that Sarah did literally means to take stock, to take an inventory, to look at all the aspects of God, to consider every little possibility, to attribute to one's account, to reason accurately. That's what she did. To reason accurately, God is I'm going to have a son. Not because of me and my womb, but because of God and what he said and who he is. How amazing would that be, y'all, if we could live that way? Just totally live at his word and just believe it. Hear it, believe it, obey it, and rest in it. The life of faith. I think it could be so much more simple than we can imagine.
The last thing um, that I kind of want to leave us thinking about is this idea of verse 26. It, it mentions it a couple different times. It, it, start in verse 15, actually, and then we'll j- jump over to 26. It talks about Abraham and Sarah and all these people, and it says, if indeed they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. This is Hebrews eleven fifteen. All these people, if they had been thinking about where they had come from, they would have returned to where they came from. But verse 16 says, they desired a better country. Their faith was long-sighted. It was vision-filled. Their faith required them to leave something in order to gain something greater. Abraham had to leave his country. Noah had to leave the entire world. He was the only person in his family saved. There are so many accounts. Moses had to leave the comforts of Egypt, even though it was slavery, but it was comfortable. Faith requires us to leave something that we might gain something better. What has your faith required you to let go of? And what has your faith given you? For some of you, you may not have a family that knows the Lord. And to some level, your faith has required that you let go of their opinion of you. That you let go of their understanding of what you believe in order to gain this approval, this testimony, this assurance in God. What is it that your faith has required you to leave? And what is it that your faith has promised to give you? Because I guarantee it promises more dosing. Faith promises a better country, a better way, a better person. Of course, all these people were pre-Jesus. We are on the other side of the promise. So to some extent, they received some promises. They, They did receive Isaac. The ark was built. It did rain. Noah had never seen rain before. It did happen. But they didn't receive fully the promise, the promise that we've all received. And they still believed without seeing that promise. Y'all, we are on the other side of that promise. So whatever God's asked of you to let go of, whatever your faith is required of you, your gain is so much more than anything you would have considered loss. It's so much more. Right, Paul? I consider all things, all things loss. Consider all things loss for the sake of just knowing Christ. Paul was post-Jesus. He got it. We are too. We are living in the promise itself. So what has your faith called you to leave? And then verse 26, it restates that in a different way using Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, considering 
the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Faith looks to the reward. Faith considers Christ as greater riches than culture, than the passing pleasures of Egypt. That's what true faith does. And I'm so sick of seeing people, mainly women, compromise what they believe and know to be true, forsaking the riches of Christ for the treasures of Egypt. And right here it says, because of their faith, Moses knew, Noah knew, Abraham knew, it is so much better to forsake that with our eyes fixed on what's coming and what's better. Do you, does your faith live that way? Do you really believe and live and consider that Christ is greater than the treasures of Egypt? Whatever your Egypt is, treasures of Atlanta, is he greater? Faith says yes. Hope says maybe. But faith knows it to be true. It's that word of the whole book, right? The book of Hebrews is the book of better. And there is a better country. There is a better coming, even for us. This is not our home. Y'all realize that, right? This is not our home. As good as this can be, I sense the Lord as I was finishing my study today, the Lord was saying, Sarah, are you comfortable here? Because this is not your home. Set your eyes on what's coming, what's greater, what's better, what's beyond you. Have that kind of faith that gives you a testimony that doesn't choose the treasures of Egypt over the riches of Christ. Don't get too comfortable here. It's, it's coming like this. And he is so much better. He is so, so good. Um, I just want to end with a song. And, um, and then <clears throat> this is going to talk. Yeah. It's going to talk for a second. Um, I just want y'all to listen to this and just hear this as a declaration. I hope your heart is in this place where you can sing it with them. Um, this is a beautiful declaration of I will believe him. I will trust him. Let me do this. Bluetooth connected.
Heavenly Father, I pray that myself and every single woman in here would be able to say those words that I will trust you. I will believe you. I won't just hope in you or for you, but I will believe you. And know that you are everything you say you are, that you can do everything you say you can do. God, I pray that you would bolster the faith in these lives. God, that you would put them on a roller coaster that increases their faith in you. God, I pray that the testings and the tension and the life that's ahead of them or maybe even behind them, that they would grow from those things and that their faith would be strengthened and not destroyed or wavering. God, I pray against the spirit of unbelief and the spirit of question and the spirit of doubt in Jesus' name. And ask that you would author in all of us a measure of faith that is immovable, that is rightly defined, not some wishful thinking, not attached to who we want you to be, but attached to who you are. I pray that we would find freedom in that, not fear. You are good. You are a rewarder. You are kind. You are involved. And you are worthy of our trust. So wherever there is an, an ounce of reservation to trust you in any life or heart in here, I pray that you would unleash that, that you would unleash that reservation and that it would just be a full abandoned trust and belief and assurance and conviction in the things that are not seen as more important than the things that are. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We love you. We need you. We celebrate you as our life. And it's in your powerful, precious name. Amen. The last thing I want to read is um, John Piper. It says, Faith is utterly a love of God that is more than life itself. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than jobs or retirement plans or ministries or dreams. Faith says whether God handles me tenderly or whether he hands me over to torture, suffering or not, joy or not, I love him. My faith is him. He is my reward. He is the builder of the city I long for and that I was made for. He is the treasure beyond all riches of any Egypt I have left. He is a possession that surpasses all others and abides forever. He is the source of my faith, and his love is better than life. So good. Um, thank y'all. Did you want to do that? Okay. Um, thank y'all so much for being here. I, I trust and pray and believe that your faith in God would just rise, that you would study faith, that you would let it put muscles on for you, work it out. If, as you work out in the gym, let your heart work out, let your faith work itself out to believe God for all that he is and all that he can do. Um, 
our next gathering isn't until I believe the end of this month actually um, I think we've got like Martin Luther King or somebody's birthday on the 15th some president so it's Roots next week, and then we're off that Valentine's president's birthday, and then our next gathering is actually the Leap Year Monday. So it's the 29th of February. It's like randomly the 29th, not the 28th, but the 29th um, of February. So you're meeting in between those, those weeks, but February 29th, um, we encourage y'all to, to come back as we conclude our study in Hebrews and dive into the last little bit that he has for us to learn. So bring your friends. I'm thrilled to have y'all all here. I'm so excited to get to have y'all and to get to meet you. Um, questions, comments? How was your trip for the Esther Yeah, the trip did not happen. My trip was to the bed, and I literally laid in bed all weekend. Got a terrible sinus infection. Um, so it was a big zero. <laughs> the the barn that we were looking at we did find out is booked through 2017 <coughs> so that was a further confirmation probably that yeah if anything we'll do one in 2017 in St. Simons as well but there's some other things on the horizons that we're thinking about for Atlanta in August but thank you for asking <laughs> I'm just now on the mend if y'all have ever had this cold it, it lingers everybody and their brother I feel like has had this thing so it put me under and my poor husband is under now so I told him to stop kissing me. Um, but yeah, so thank you for asking. We're on to, to better things and different visions for Atlanta this year and not St. Simon's. So yeah, it'll be good. Thank y'all. Look forward to seeing y'all in a few weeks.